0: Go to NorCalGunVault.com, NorCalGunVault.com. McGird. Er So many things to catch you up on. Interesting things that are going on in the world. Well, let's get to it. Breaking news. Breaking news. When
1: the donk when the news breaks, the donkey brays. I'll have I'll get that right one. Or, of these days. or
0: something. Yeah.
1: Uh, FBI agents raided the Alexandria home of President Trump's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, using a search warrant to seize documents and other materials. Last month. So it's breaking old news, apparently. How this didn't leak, I don't know. They showed up without advanced warning in the pre-dawn hours of July 26th. Is this a leak? The day after he met with the Senate Intelligence Committee. Yeah, it almost certainly is.
0: Um, Certainly wouldn't shock me in the least if Manafort turns out to have done something that ain't cool. Or Flynn.
1: Well, what was it from the moment he appeared on the scene? We were oh, saying, yeah. man, does he look like a gangster? Yeah, so... Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. And that's um, enough time spent on that. We'll, uh, you know, the investigation will be grinding on for the rest of our lives,
0: unless the world comes to an end due to war with North Korea. We're going to talk to Jamie McIntyre coming up in a little bit on what a war with North Korea would look like if, if we can, if we tried to pull off what Trump was talking uh, about. What would that look Fire like? Fire and fury, and frankly, power, and frankly, power. Right. We'll play that whole. thing They will for be it. met with fire, fury, and frankly, power. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Mornings on
1: <laughs>
0: fire, fury, and frankly, power. China. I'm frankly power with the news. I have been waiting for this for quite some time because uh, passwords uh, <laughs> piss me off. <laughs> on, Delaney, a, on I'm near, sorry,
1: Delaney just texted Mooch. Stop the leaks. That is some pretty funny commentary. Yeah. No he didn't, honey. <laughs> and and he's been fired. I'm sorry, passwords. Passwords, passwords. have
0: piss pissed me off on a near daily basis. There there's rarely a day that goes by that yesterday booking for my solar eclipse trip I'm on or something, oh. and I used that five years ago the last time I used it, and it needed a password, and apparently the password I thought I was using back then is not. there. And The one I've got in my notes is not, or something, or, or they changed their rules, or whatever. So I've been waiting for some sort of breakthrough. Iris scan, it's, it's the thumbprint helps sometimes, something. Grundle scan. This is a pretty big breakthrough in that the guy who invented all, most of this nonsense back in 2003, says it's all pointless. Which nonsense are we talking about? I'll get to that. Okay. So this guy is now 72 years old. His name is Bill Burr. He did an interview with the Wall Street Journal 15 years ago. He was given the task for the federal government of coming up with some standards for passwords to try to protect information. This is in the infancy of this sort of thing. It's a worthy goal, obviously, given the hacks that have happened. The government figured out in 2003, this is before a lot of this, you know, maybe you don't remember the timeline, but there wasn't really much of this password and hacking and all this stuff going on, even in 2003. We finally decided, you know, we gotta we got to have passwords for this stuff. So write guidelines. He says... There was nothing to go on. He said, I wasn't given any information, any data as to as to how people were doing it or what was effective or was not. And he more or less just made it up. Mm. Um, And now looking back, now that they have information to go on, on what gets hacked and what doesn't get hacked and what's effective and what's not. He's found that almost everything that he told us to do or told the government to do. And then all corporations started following the same rules is pointless. <laughs> like changing your password every 30, 60, or 90 days, like Ugh. our company makes us do. It's, so the d- Russians don't get our meeting plans. Doesn't accomplish anything they it's have crap. found. It's crap. The it's I- crap. The idea of having one capital letter in the middle, or a number, or an exclamation point, or a dollar, or an ampersand doesn't do anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. The only thing it accomplished they found is it makes it impossible to remember your password. Don't. And it cuts way back on the ability for people to function, either to get work done or just enjoy their lives. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong. 90% of hacks involving passwords result from a phishing scam where they
1: say, what's your password? And some numbskull replies. So right, um, often they're cleverly uh, you know, disguised.
0: So they have changed the standards for the government, and uh, hopefully this will filter out to the real world over time, and they won't make you reset your password or come up with something that you could never remember in a million years.
1: It's got to be at least 75 characters, include a number, a capital, a letter, a punctuation mark, a quote from Faulkner, and (laughs) a generally accepted economic uh, 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 formula. So the new. Inv- the quadratic equation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the new guidelines are you shouldn't change your passwords unless you have been informed there's a specific, there's been a hacker, you're about to be hacked. Other than that, leave your password the same. Hackers. For as long as you want. And this information also out that a password such as. Well, the the best passwords are strings of words that are easy to remember. Those are the best passwords. Okay. And the hardest to hack. So not only are they the easiest to remember, they're the hardest to hack. For instance, the old password rules, which would give you a password like capital T, small r, a zero, small u, small b, the number four, small d, uh, big O, small r, ambersand 3, which is the sort of thing that would have met the old guidelines, would take roughly three days to crack according to their analysis. Whereas a password... If anybody
1: were doing that sort of cracking, but anyway, right. go ahead.
0: Whereas a password such as correct horse battery staple would take 550 years to hack.
1: Well, if you get the incorrect horse battery staple, your horse is going to be in anguish, so be
0: careful. 550 years, half a millennia so for somebody to hack that Time password, to staple in the batteries, <laughs> 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 Joe's getting distracted I'm by the clever string of words. But the point is that string of words that you could remember if you came up with a nonsense phrase sure. is almost unhackable. Whereas that other one that you could never remember, you have to write it down somewhere right. is easily hacked. So So come up with a string of words and don't change it. That is the new guidelines. Thank God. I am going to come up with a string of words that (laughs) will raise your hair. I'm going to forward this to everybody in the building. Yeah. Uh,
1: So uh, how much does this remind you of the dietary guidelines that that we've been uh, witness to over the last 50? How long has the government been trying to tell us how to eat? Like 75 years? 50, 75 years? I don't even margarine. know. Margarine. It's it's oh, the, oh my the, God. It is margarine.
0: Yep. These, the, this whole password thing is the margarine of our time.
1: If you're not familiar with margarine, kids, it's a tub full of trans fat. Perhaps you've heard of that. And the government told us in, what, 1970-something? I don't know. Just do not eat butter. Butter will kill you. Eat margarine. It's much better for you. It was a tub
0: full of trans fat. I lived in the freaking dairy state of Wisconsin, and we ate margarine exclusively Duh. because of the government guidelines. <laughs> and it uh, turns out it's almost the single worst thing you could eat. I should leave out almost. I think it is the single worst thing you could eat for your health. Well, unless you could eat uranium or something um, like that. And, and that's yeah. what the government told us to eat instead of natural Trans butter. fat is in the process of being banned out of being allowed to be yeah. put into food. As it'll as it'll as take several years to, right. to actually make it to the shelves. But yeah, right. it's in the process of being removed entirely from the diet. And when, when we were kids, it was considered the healthiest thing to do. Now, unless you think mankind has somehow gotten more brilliant in the last 40 years... There's every reason to believe that the stuff they're telling us now is as stupid as that. You know, and listen, this is this.
1: Is, if you don't believe this, it's difficult to uh, to to discuss this. Uh, 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 for for the umpteenth time, read Thomas Sowell's "Conflict of Vision." Knowledge increases in mankind. Wisdom and character, not really, not really, incrementally. We're no longer afraid
0: of witches. In the West, for instance. <laughs> but there are plenty of societies I'm a, where there are. I'm, a little, they, little, I'm a little afraid. Um, yeah, well, this guy... They fly on brooms. That's this, crazy. This guy was told by the government to come up with some guidelines with no information on anything, so he just kind of guessed. Right. And, it's like, well, i got to give him something. Yeah, exactly. They hired me to do this. This is my job. He didn't know it was going to go out and be used for the next 15 years and go out into the corporate world. And yeah, yeah. Better
1: throw in, uh, I don't know, maybe a capital letter and uh, he's, he's looking at his keyboard. <laughs> A uh, punctuation mark and a uh, number two and a print screen. No, that doesn't make any sense. Take that out. Yeah, so anyway, the numbers and the letters thing. Yeah, that's that's it. And it's got to be, I don't know, kind of longish, I guess. Uh, yeah, six characters or more. Eight, no, eight!
2: <laughs> right, I, I just wish there was uniformity across all the apps and websites because some websites that you get yeah. away, let you get away with the six. How about Some they ain't. mind
0: their own effing business? You know what they got yeah. to do? Well, I guess they got to protect their own website. But I wish there was an opt-out. Are you willing to take the risk on this meaningless website that you're on now and then of you being hacked? Yes, I am.
2: Yeah. My, my <laughs> password is a letter A, lowercase. That's all I want. And they, last week, I had to reset my password, but they didn't let me use my old
1: password. Like, well, what's the point of all this madness? Dear sirs, if the Russians discover that I bought guitar strings from you, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Signed,
0: Joe. <laughs> I hope these new guidelines get out fast, especially the new password every 30 days thing or whatever it is. That's just so annoying. And remember to... Use the proper oh. size staple for your horse batteries. One more thing. I got you this text. This is a good one. Um, if I can find it. IT administrator here. So this is an IT guy for a corporation. Every VIP I've ever worked with has asked for and gets an exemption from ever having to change their password. So your bosses, where oh. you work, aren't having to change their passwords. They get an exemption. <laughs> Just us adults have to. So if we do go to war with North Korea, what's it look like? I've I've heard millions dead in minutes. Is that an exaggeration?
1: Jamie McIntyre is a, a terrific defense writer. We'll ask him in moments.
0: And the full Trump fire and fury quote, if you haven't heard it, on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. not make any more threats to the United States they will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen he has been very threatening uh, beyond a normal statement and as I said they will be met with fire, fury and frankly power the likes of which this world has never seen before thank you that's a heck of a thing.
1: Yeah, number one, it's a little difficult to uh make sense of. Now some people it typically have said, fractured Trump syntax, but
0: some people said Trump used the the term fire and fury because it translates better into Korean, Chinese, those kind of languages. I don't that's have entirely any, possible. I don't have any idea if that's true or not. Um I, I, I would love to know whether or not this this phraseology or even this idea was run by the generals or not. Or if it was just more or less off the top of his head.
1: Well, let's take that up uh, along with uh, uh, related issues with Jamie McIntyre, author of the Daily on Defense newsletter letter for the Washington Examiner, which is an excellent read if you're into that sort of thing. Jamie, welcome. How are you? I'm just
2: uh, fine. Just ready for war.
1: Uh, Well, uh, that's that's an interesting lead. You want to start with the president's statement, what you made of that?
2: So this uh, sent a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, scratching their heads because, you know, North Korea is known for this kind of rhetoric. They've been saying this kind of stuff. Every time we have a military exercise, they issue some bellicose uh, bluster about, you know, reducing Seoul to a sea of flames or whatever. But we don't usually hear this language coming out of the president's mouth. And, um, you know, uh, it was it was almost comical to watch some of the coverage on the cable news networks, particularly CNN yesterday, they were they were giving practical advice for what to do when the nuclear weapon uh, landed in Hawaii uh, in one segment yesterday. Um, but, you know, I think Rex Tillerson, who a lot of people see as the uh, sort of moderating force here, the uh, the diplomat, the top diplomat, it, it sort of fell to him to put this in perspective. And what Tillerson said today with two reporters who were traveling with him is, look, the president is using some language that uh, Kim Jong-un might understand, because it's the kind of thing he would say, uh, because he doesn't seem to be listening to our diplomatic, our nice, polite diplomatic language, uh, and basically making the point that the United States is not going to be uh, intimidated by uh, North Korea. So um, that seemed to make a little sense, got people sort of calmed down a little bit. Uh, Tillerson was actually traveling to Guam, which, as you, you may know, the North Koreans specifically said they were contemplating some sort of missile strike on Guam, where the U.S. has a military base, uh, and that's where they fly those B-1 bombers out of when they fly them over the uh, Korean Peninsula in the show of force. So um, it seems the president... Now, and, you know, the debate was, did he just say this off the cuff? Or was he, re- he... At some point, he looked like he was reading. He was, like, looking down, but then he was also talking. Um, but it's, it was clearly calculated, The uh, the fire and fury... Because he said it twice.
0: Yeah, that phrase Uh, that is pretty clearly seems to be planned out. Although he could have planned it out without running it by the generals. But here's here's my question though, and we've got a military analyst we have on regularly, and uh, he's been saying for quite some time the the military option isn't really an option. I mean, if you know, if we had a full on existential threat, I'm sure we would attack anybody. But the preemptive option is not an option. Way too many people would die. We first of all we would need the help of allies. Uh, which you'd have to convince them to get on board. You'd never be able to keep it a secret, so you'd lose the element of surprise. Any any attack whatsoever, as um, uh, much surprise as you want, they'd have the ability to launch on Seoul. Millions could die in minutes. Certainly hundreds of thousands could die in minutes. So it's not on the table for us to do a preemptive strike. Do you agree with that or disagree?
2: Well, there, there are options. The Pentagon, as they like to say, is a planning organization. And they have drawn up options for... Uh, various kinds of pre strikes, as well as strikes that they would do uh, if uh, North Korea were to were to start uh, a conflict. And the reason you have to have those options is because you don't you don't know what's going to happen. The danger with what's going on now with this war of words going back and forth and threats and counter-threats is that one side or the other makes a miscalculation. It's pretty clear though that if if the United States believed that North Korea had a nuclear-tipped ICBM and launched it toward the United States, um, that that would be enough to, to um, <clears throat> provoke a strike on North Korea, or if they felt like they needed to take that missile out to protect an American city. You know, as Lindsey Graham, the uh, senator from South Carolina, put it, that you know at some point President Trump may be faced with this the regrettable decision of whether he needs to place the national security of the United States first or the regional security uh, on the Korean Peninsula first. Yes, it's true. If there is a second Korean War, it's going to be a bloodbath, and lots of people will die. Although, you know, even though it's unthinkable, a lot of Pentagon military planners are thinking about it anyway. They have to think about the unthinkable. And they've thought about what kind of military option they could exercise to try to neutralize those thousands of pieces of artillery and multiple launch rocket systems that are along the DMZ pointed at Seoul, it would be a race to see how fast you could take those out before they could kill, you know, thousands or tens of thousands or more people. And don't forget also, Seoul's been living under this threat for a long time. They have many, many bomb shelters over there. People would, it would be a terrible thing. Thousands definitely would die. I'm not sure if it'd be tens of thousands or even a hundred thousands. There are some Pentagon estimates you could have a million casualties on both sides. Right. And but, I guess uh, that's, Jamie,
1: I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's kind of what we're driving yeah. at. And, and it, it, you, you could have a week-long symposium on these things. So I realize a brief answer is hard. But is it going to be one of those uh, situations where, yes, we could do it. It would be very costly, um, but the, the, the casualty figures are probably exaggerated. Or do you believe that, yes, it would be death on a scale not seen since Stalingrad, I heard somebody say?
2: I don't think I think the uh, I think you could do it in a way that would limit casualties, but not to anything that anybody would be happy with. Um, and uh, and I do think that that remains an option. And, you know, the, the, for diplomacy to work, sometimes it has to be backed up by the credible threat of military force. If you say the option is so terrible, we could never do it. Then you don't have that that threat of military force. And if you circle back to how we started this conversation with what the president said, I think that was his intent. To to back up the diplomacy with some sort of credible threat of yes, if push came to shove, we really might do something.
1: Jamie McIntyre is the author of the Daily on Defense newsletter for the Washington Examiner.
0: If Trump were the kind of guy just thrown out there for the people who are scared of Donald Trump, which about half the country is, is seems to think you know he's the new Hitler. Um, so if he, he's not, by the way, no, he's not. If Trump was the kind of guy though that thought, you know what, we're not going to get hit with a nuke on my watch. They've gotten as close as I'm going to let them go. We're going to go first strike in 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 some fashion. And it, it, you you can't really dip your toe into the water of a first strike. You'd you'd have to really go after it. You'd have to do a decapitation of the of the regime. Do you think would the Pentagon allow that? If Trump said this is what I want to do, do you think the McMaster would resign? I mean, how do you think that would play out?
2: Well, we do have civilian control of the military. And you know this is not the first time the U.S. has contemplated a preemptive strike on North Korea. They came very close in 1994 when President uh, Clinton was in office to taking out uh, North Korea's uh, nuclear facility at Yongbyon. This is before they had nuclear weapons. Um, but at the last minute, the Secretary of Defense at the time, William Perry, said he thought it would it was too risky. It would risk this all-out war on the Korean Peninsula. And then they went with a uh, you know a negotiated. Uh, framework agreement, it was called, and we all know what happened after that. North Korea cheated on that, and they now have nuclear weapons, and now we're facing an even more daunting prospect.
0: Well, so you'd have a better argument that, you know, Clinton was almost ready to do it without them having the nuclear weapons. Trump would be making that argument while they've got nuclear weapons. So he's got a stronger argument. It seems to me, then, they'd be, he'd be justified in, in doing that in the eyes of the Pentagon.
2: Well, there's two, two factors there. One is North Korea, for all of its advances, is not there yet. They have not demonstrated they can actually put one of these small nukes on top of a missile and make it work. Um, they may be some, still some uh, year or so away from that. Well, I got to, I got to jump in.
0: I got to jump in on that because you know we, we, uh, I've been hearing that in stages for quite a while now. And every time they say it'll be a year, uh, the next week, it seems like North Korea does it, or or our intelligence department says, oh, they've gotten there two years faster than we would. So I don't understand the point of waiting until they get there.
2: Well, so exact, but exactly. But until they actually do it, until you actually test a small nuke, um, you don't know if it's really, if it's, that, that capability is really there. And the other thing, of course, is once you, if there's a really credible threat that, you know, an American city could be at risk, uh, the president will be under a lot of pressure to act. But don't forget, you know, we just had this experience in Iraq in 2003 where we had all this intelligence about weapons of mass destruction that turned out to be faulty. This latest assessment from the Defense Intelligence Agency that North Korea has a miniature nuclear weapon that can put on a missile is an assessment that's based on various pieces of intelligence, and intelligence is not um, is not conclusive. You know, they have a slam dunk. In intelligence it's not a slam
0: dunk. <laughs> tell me what
2: you, they have a saying. It says, tell me what you know and tell me what you think, and make damn clear which is which. This is what the intelligence community thinks. It's not what they know.
1: Well, and it's probably worth pointing out that uh, everybody involved in this conversation has lived their entire lives under the threat of global nuclear uh, obliteration. And so, you know, the cities being at threat is only something you have to act upon if you think that the uh, guy on the other side of the table is going to execute that threat. Final uh, question, Jamie, then we really have to uh, take a break. But uh, what are we hearing from the South Koreans on this topic?
2: Well, so they they seem a lot less concerned. They've been living under this for so long, they don't take anything the North says seriously. And, of course, we need to consult with South Korea before we take any action because they're the ones most directly affected. But what some people don't realize is that if the North were to come south or attack the South, we're already going to be fighting. There won't be a big vote in Congress about whether to go to war. We are bound by treaty to defend South Korea since the end of the Korean War in 1953. So if there's a war that started by the North, we're in it from day one.
1: He writes about fire and fury and, frankly, power. Jamie <laughs> McIntyre, author of the Daily on Defense newsletter for the Washington Examiner. Jamie, it's always great when we get a chance to talk. Uh, thanks for the time.
2: Thank you, and sorry I ran on so long. Oh, no,
0: no, no that no, was good it. stuff. You good
1: enjoyed stuff. it very much. Thank you.
0: Um. Yeah, well, got it. If Clinton was that close to an attack... <clears throat> to keep them from getting weapons, then Trump could certainly make the argument for an attack because they have the weapons.
1: Right. Right. Although the retaliation, the cost would be much, much higher. Unless you could, you know, attack them with such devastating force that...
0: That's why um, you can't dip your toe in this. You either got to go all in or not.
1: Right, that they can't launch a nuke at
0: Los Angeles. Oh, wow. That's, That's a heck of a thing. Um, and then, so, so we do the decapitation strike, Trump gives a big speech on how the world had to do this, the United States had to do it, it was next to threat, and there's, I don't know, 90,000 people dead, 200,000 serious casualties, and then we go in there, and we find they're not near as far as we thought they were, similar to Iraq. Right, all that's, they've got is
1: a canned ham on top of it, a Roman candle.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one in terms of world opinion. Whoops. Sorry about that. We we overestimated again.
1: That's two on us. I really liked what Jamie said. That you go to intelligence and you ask them, "Tell me what you know. Tell me what you think, and make it clear which is which." That's a good description.
0: Well, and as David Sanger said in the New York Times, um, for years you got fired for underestimating because the the Chinese and the Russians got farther ahead, and the, and North Korea. Then Iraq came. Now you get. Then you get for a while. You got fired for overestimating. Right. So it kind of swings back and forth, and now it's back toward you don't want to get fired for underestimating. You're not going to lose your job. David, I'm just a singer in a rock and roll band with some words of wisdom there. I don't know. I don't know. No, you don't. Well, Trump is a hell of an unpredictable guy. I mean, part of it might be a ploy, which is a good one. The madman theory. Make North Korea think he's capable of anything. On the other hand, I do think he's capable of anything. Whoops. (laughs) Uh, Marshall's abandoned us during a national crisis, so we're handling uh, the news slot. (laughs) Is that actually Marshall? Is that Vince doing his Marshall impersonation? That's Vince. That's Vince. That's really good. (laughs) That's pretty good. Stay with us. You're listening to The Armstrong and Getty Show. Marshall Phillips, our newsman. He's not here today. He's got uh, some dental work he's getting done, or he's hitting up about you know six to twelve dozen convenience stores trying to hit the the Mega Millions, hitting his his lucky ones. Yeah, what's it up to now? Uh, it'll be about three hundred and eighty million. They're guessing. That's a lot of money. Not enough. I don't play unless it's to four hundred million. Yeah. We got a text about that as I was talking about the irrationality. But anyway, turn off the music. Turn it off. We don't have the news. We were discussing whether or not, why we even have that music behind the news. I like it. Joe does not. But I can't come up with an argument for why it should exist. <laughs>
1: Michael, is it, you can't tell what the name of it was, can you, in the production library? It just says Long News Bed. Oh, okay. That's all it says. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember it, it used to be different, and then it switched to this one a few years ago, and I, I never understood. Oh, man, that either. was years ago. Yeah,
0: I know. I, I wasn't trying to make it sound very old. But... No, I was just thinking about it. I'm not arguing with you. I'm just thinking couple of news stories for you dumb criminals that's a classic in news right oh, really uh, i don't know if this guy was dumb or he just didn't know this but so a guy broke into a house he uh, used the toilet didn't flush they were able to get his dna from his leavens and caught him that way because he was already in a crime database number 1 leavens or number 2 leavens number 2 leavens why they, did you... they can get your
1: dna out of that
0: well, of course they can wow well i just
1: remind myself cuz i've often wanted to uh, you know leave a little card <laughs>
0: Send here and there. (laughs) A little take that, if you will. Uh,
1: Just, you know, (laughs) take that. I haven't
0: (laughs) played that card, but I got it up my sleeve. Uh, uh, Oh. Some avid boaters in the San Diego area out in the ocean. Battery dies on their boat. What are we going to do? We'll call the Coast Guard. Coast Guard comes, gives them a jump start, and then seizes their 1,200 pounds of marijuana. (laughs) If your battery is dead, I suggest you paddle with your hands. If you have 1,200 pounds of marijuana on your boat. Call a buddy. You ignoramuses. They've discovered an even bigger dinosaur. I believe there's some sort of, oh yeah, I found a bigger dinosaur war going on among archaeologists. Because they keep setting a record like it seems every six months. Mm. There's a new one called the Patagata Titan. (laughs) Titan, I believe, is the... Oh, I'm sorry, Titan. (laughs) Titan. And nice tights. (laughs) Uh, Which weighed 70 tons. That's as much as the space shuttle. Wow. That's a BFD. You put it next to a Tyrannosaurus Rex, it'd be like an elephant next to a lion, they say. How oh. much bigger? Wow. <laughs> elephant, lion, elephant, lion, elephant. Okay.
1: Ten, of course, th- a T Rex is not known for its size. They're pretty big. I mean, it you know, yeah, they're definitely pretty big, but they're you not. You saw ele-
0: one, you'd, you'd leave your DNA in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true
1: enough. Um, but they're not, they're, they're, their prominence among dinosaurs is not because of their size. All Talk right. to me about an Apatosaurus. How would it compare to the mighty
0: Apatosaurus? It's about 10% larger. That's plenty. Well actually it's double the size of an Apatosaurus. What? And 10% larger than the current reigning dinosaur giant which perhaps you missed because that happened this this earlier this summer. The
1: big Aefosaurus.
0: The Argentinosaurus or some people called it the Dreadosaurus. There was an argument over that. A dread being a common uh, term for large, or these people that found it in Argentina wanted to call it the source. I guess you get into battles over what you're going to call your dinosaur. Uh, but so anyway, my kids will be interested in that. Dread as in large? Yeah. Like the Dread Pirate
1: Roberts was the large Pirate Roberts? No, like
0: or... a dreadnought boat or a dread guitar. A oh, dr- I see. Dread commonly means large. I see. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, I could uh, go on all day about the... Uh... Sure, Etymology of dinosaur names. Reason
0: you don't want to put your feet on the dashboard when you're driving along. Women especially like to do this. I've never understood about you, women. You just can't sit in any seat the normal way. <laughs> you just can't do it. <laughs> you got <laughs> to sit sideways with your legs hanging over the arm rail or put your feet up on the dashboard. Why can't you just sit like normal people? Put but your I, feet under you while yeah. you're sitting in a chair. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or in the car. Insert right your now. knees
1: into the front of your sweater. How do you even do that? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, but it's, it's a woman thing. Obviously, it's more comfortable for you to sit sideways with your arm, leg hanging over, or put your feet under you in the seat of the car. It's designed to have your feet, whatever.
2: And they take their shoes off while doing it, too.
0: Yeah. Anyway, uh, this uh, is resting her feet on the dashboard. They got into a little uh, a wreck, and when the airbag goes off, it will run your knees through your eye sockets. Oh, is what will boy. happen there. Oh, uh, boy. Boy. Oh, that sounds unpleasant. Yeah. So you don't Kneeing want to do
1: that. yourself
0: in the face. The airbag went off, throwing my foot up and breaking my nose. I was looking at the bottom of my foot facing up at me.
1: Oh, I was looking at the bottom
0: of my foot. It was a month before she could even start trying to walk again. <laughs> Wait
1: a second. Oh, so it broke her leg it broke her ankle as it, 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 oh, and various parts it of her yeah. oh my yeah. 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 god yeah. oh lord it was oh, m- i'm going to pass out it was a
0: month before she could even try to start learning how to walk again cuz
1: it sounded like she was beheaded yet still cognizant
0: so she's hoping others learn from her mistake you don't <laughs> want to have your feet up on the dash cuz even a minor wreck you're a, it's a well she's right. 2 years later she still can't walk right oh it's a terrible shame oh, heck yeah. yeah so you have your feet on the dash and you think i'm just being comfortable little fender bender Kapoof. You're staring at the bottom of your foot, like you're Steve Bannon or something. <laughs> <laughs> you're all bendy. Wow. Wow. That took an
1: unfortunate turn. Why don't we take a break on that happy note, okay. Jack? Okay. Uh, really, yeah.
0: Uh, I'm going to ask you to run that sort of stuff before me, or through me, by me. What? United Airlines is killing dogs now. There's world agreement that atheists are the worst people. Wow. Among other things we can talk about. God damn you atheists. Stay with us. We're going to come at you with verbal fire fury and, frankly, power (laughs) on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, But everybody is uh, talking about the North Korea situation and how we're going to handle it. Well, this morning MSNBC had Trump advisor Sebastian Gorka on to discuss it. But I kind of know he had a very strange way of saying hello. Take a look at this. It says that it will never give up its nuclear and intercontinental ballistic missile programs. Joining us live now
1: from the White House is Deputy Assistant to the President, Sebastian Gorka. Mr. Gorka, good to see you. Thank you for being with us. Greetings.
0: Greetings. They cut him off before he could say Earthlings. Oh, wait, wait. Greetings, Earthlings. Gorka's an interesting act. I like his yeah. act. He's got the beard. Greetings. He's got the pointy beard. <laughs> oh, we got to put that in this show intro. Well, we do. But yeah. uh, Gorka said, we are a hyperpower, and the North Koreans <clears throat> best not test this president.
1: And they are merely a super duper power. Now, we have... Ian. Greetings. <laughs> hey... How you doing?
0: (laughs) We have Ian Bremmer on the show tomorrow.
1: Looking forward to it. He's a
0: great thinker. Some of his uh, tweets have been uh, great in the last couple hours. He said, don't know about you guys, but I've never been such a fan of the Pacific Ocean. I agree with that. Oh, man. Well Um, said. Who the hell threatens Guam? Hashtag not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. See, that's who does threaten Guam. God, I got
1: That's the, what I love about Ian. I don't agree with him all the time, but damn, he's got a sense of humor. He also
0: said Rex Tillerson is in Guam. It was already scheduled, but still a baller move. Yeah. I like anybody who says baller move, who's yeah. a, you know, whose specialty is international relations. Yeah. That is a baller move, though. You you th- You said you're going to envelop Guam in a lake of fire. Well, our secretary of state's there, so.
1: I heard old I.B. point out that uh, while the, the, the stick is being wielded by Trump, there's also really intense diplomacy going on. And this could be a real breakthrough moment for diplomacy. It is the scariest moment so far in the North Korea thing, but also the most promising with Rex Tillerson saying, look, we're willing to negotiate. Let's get together. Let's talk. So he's got kind of an optimistic view of what's going on. Michael.
0: You no, I keep thinking about this. Um, you have reckless youth with Kim being, he's only in his 30s, and then right. you have Donald Trump who's 70. And I just, I, I'm thinking this is why North Korea is being so vigilant, is because this guy is so young and stupid, quite frankly.
1: Well, that could be. It could be. Although, the the Kim family strategy has been now for several decades. We're going to get a nuke because that is our, our our Trump card. That prevents an invasion, a uh, uh, an attempt at overthrowing the regime. And they've been trying to do that, and they make agreements every so often, and they move their uh, nuclear program from in the light to in secret, and they don't even pause. Uh, so that's, that's clearly been their strategy. And at the point that they have a miniaturized nuclear warhead they can put on top of a missile that works, then things are at a much more critical moment. So it makes sense that he would be acting differently now, too. So, but I, I'm not saying you're wrong, Michael.
0: A 30-year-old does have a different view of life and death but than, a, than a 50-year-old. Than
1: a oh, yeah. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. But even if you were 110 things would be a little crazy right now <laughs> because of the uh you know what I was describing before. Yeah. Uh David Ignatius who's no great uh, the fan of the president wrote an opinion piece in the WaPo uh, this morning uh, among other things uh, he said were, was this President Trump's bullying style, even in dealing with trivial matters of domestic politics, obscures the extent to which he has tried to marry U.S. policy on North Korea with that of China. For the most part, he has been surprisingly successful. Beijing and Washington have mostly been aligned as in this weekend's uh, unanimous UN Security Council vote in favor of additional sanctions etc. Cetera, et
0: cetera. Boy, that's really interesting. That's yeah. a guy who's uh, who who's uh, studying it seriously.
1: Oh yeah, if you watch CNN or MSNBC or whatever and expect any sort of serious analysis, you're just you're not going to get it. They've decided, look, we're just going to beat on Trump because people like it. Um and if you enjoy that, go ahead and watch, I suppose, but um, you're not going to get anything serious. You want both sides of the coin? Who the hell threatens Guam? Hashtag not impressed. Yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> My brother has spent quite a bit of quality time on Guam as a naval officer, and mm. uh, not impressed. Oh, really? It's strategically located. So ends the list of its virtues.
0: <laughs> it's not a vacation paradise or anything. No. no, it really isn't. No, it's practically a state, though, isn't it? Tad Grim. They vote there in our
1: elections. Yeah, well, they can vote if they want. Sure. <laughs> Do we have to count them? No.
0: (laughs) Hilarious. Ah, boy. You're listening to The Armstrong and Getty Show.